Hello, geeks everywhere, and welcome to another Geeks Crossing podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Paul. Here to give you all the best geek-related content you could ask for. And that's right, Paul is once again guest-starring on a very special episode of Pokemon Journeys. Oh yeah. As you may or may not know, Pokemon Journeys just ended recently, so now would be a good time as any to review on it. And who better to talk about Pokemon Journeys than probably the only person I know that loves the Pokemon anime as much as I do, than Paul. I watched it since it first came out, so it makes so much sense just to cover it, because there's a lot to talk about. And it's not just Journeys, because there's a lot going on with the future of the Pokemon anime, but we'll take it one step at a time. Alright, Eric, how about you begin? Alright, so like we usually do on this podcast, we like to get our ratings out of the way first. And for me, I'm giving it a solid 7 out of 10. Like, I like Journeys a lot, especially with its concept and everything, which I'll elaborate more on later, but it definitely could have been better. I'm going to be a little bit generous, and I'm going to give Journeys at least a 7.5. I'm being generous with giving the extra 0.5. Alright, that's not bad. I mean, personally, if I was going to rank all the series from, like, worst to best, Journeys would probably in the bottom three for me. That's not to say it's bad, but every Pokemon series has its charm, even black and white to a certain degree. But... I hate to see black and white is definitely, like, the lowest tier for me, so... Journeys is probably, like, the second, the third to last. Oh, no, I said this countless times. The Black and White series is I horrendous. I know you did, but the scary part is that the only reason I have to watch Black and White again is because my fiancé is almost done with the Diamond and Pearl series. So, anyways, with Journeys, there's something I really liked about Journeys, and I don't think everyone probably did not notice this, but most of Ash's current team that he had for Journeys was based off of the, um, the favorite Pokemon poll. Like, all Pokemon were in the rankings, and Gengar and Lucario were on the top 10. Really? I didn't know that. I think Lucario was maybe number 2, and Greninja was number 1. When Ash first, (laughs) quote-unquote, caught that Haunter back in the original series, everyone thought he would never get a Gengar. But here comes Journeys, proving us wrong. Yeah, what I always see, what I like about um, this team is that this one was more like a... I never expected this type of team. We always think Ash is going to get the regional bird. They broke this trend back in Sun and Moon, but to be honest with you, Rollin was considered the bird. So it made sense. We thought it was going to get a Rookie D, but no, they threw a fucking Dragonite at us. That was insane. I know. I lost it when I saw that episode. I was like, no way. Ash caught a Dragonite? What is this? So basically, I like the fact that Ash didn't get the starters. I know a lot of people wanted Grookey. I will say that Ash's team was a little bit unexpected. I think the Lucario one was probably the most hype of the captures. Personally, I thought he would catch Sobble because I could potentially see a development story where, you know, Ash tries to teach Sobble to toughen up, you know, be a better battler and not cry as much. But what they did with Go Sobble, it was all right. But I agree with you, Paul. Ash's team was very unpredictable, but that's what makes it one of his best teams because, again, no one has ever thought Ash would own a fucking Dragonite, Gengar, Lucario, or hell, even freaking Dracovish. That one, yeah, Trista's least favorite was Dracovish because it reminds her of me when I get drunk, which is a little bit funny because <laughs> I didn't see that. When I get drunk, I act like I'm drunk when I'm not, like, messing around. 
But with the one time I actually got drunk, yes, it does look like a drunk man. That's why she can never get Dragovich the same. Because it's like me, because I act drunk. Did so, you go, or whatever his Japanese cry is? Something like that would also fall off the bed. When, you know, like, not, not in the way you think it is. Like, when I get home from work, I'm like, oh, la, 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 fall on the floor. <laughs> and how can you forget about Surfetched? We all thought Go was going to get both the Gabler version of Farfetch and the regular Farfetch. But I was really surprised that it turned out Sobble was Go. It was like completely mirror. People thought Ash was going to get Sobble because of that and then Go would get the Farfetch. It was opposite. And even though people didn't like it, I actually liked that Farfetch was actually getting the capture here. Because we, we always want Ash to get a regional variant of a previous Pokemon from his home region. And I felt like this was so fitting in itself. The fact that Surfetch, we were all happy when Farfetch got the evolution it needed. So it really, it paid off. Oh yeah, especially that development. Yes, I mean, Farfetch was on a very big losing streak, to be honest. Like, and we had the small mini 10, like, I think it was a 10 episode arc altogether, but all like completely scattered. When it built up to this Guy with the Gallade, which we never saw again after that loss, but it built him to become Surfetch, and Surfetch at that point on probably was the one that was the support on the team that cost that actually gave Lucario the win on Cynthia. Oh yeah, I think I saw a meme about how Surfetch always builds off Lucario, like Surfetch does most of the damage and Lucario takes the win, something like that. Yes, but I also feel like this was more of a teamwork type of thing. Everyone thinks it's like a kill steal, like you're playing League of Legends or something like that. But I felt like this was more like a support type of Pokemon. Surfetch does more like a sweep, but also it was more of a support Pokemon. Like but it was taking out the field advantages. It was always defending. It was also poking at the opponent. Like Garchomp. I was surprised that Surfetch got hits on Garchomp. That was surprising. Oh, I lost my shit when I saw that. I was like, no way. Is Surfetch actually going toe-to-toe against Cynthia's fucking Garchomp? Because Surfetch was getting very neglected after evolving. It kept losing, but then when it got to the last, um, to the top 11, I think against Drasna is when it started to shine a lot more, which I really like. Oh yeah, can we please talk about how Surfetch was able to one-shot Mega Altaria with an ineffective move? That was fucking insane. I was surprised in itself that Mega Altaria wasn't the last one standing. It was the Noivern, which I thought Noivern was going to go out pretty quick between the two. I think they did that because, hey, Neuburn is still Drasna's ace in the games. We got to keep continuity somehow. But I guess this goes along well with Journey's biggest strength. It's unpredictability. Oh, no. The unpredictability was the fact that Dracovish was the one to finish off everything. I mean, that did make sense because when you consider the other battles, Dracovish never won a PWC battle prior to Drasna. So. Oh, yeah, no. Like, Dracovish, I thought was, I'm going to be honest with you, I feel like it was the weakest out of the six. And it had a lot more showtime in the PWC than, than Lucario did, surprisingly. Lucario had more of a shine in the final round and the Cynthia battle. And I guess during its time as Riolu, too. But, you know, that's to be expected. Yeah. No, to see Dracovish actually doing something, I felt like that's great. Another Pokemon that got, well, we actually talked about this before, Dragonite. It was building up to be Ash's ace early on in the series, until when Lucario showed up, Dragonite got shafted for like over 70 episodes, went on a losing streak, but then made a huge comeback during the Leon battle. I feel like 
they purposely wanted to get Dragonite out early during Cynthia's battle, so that way they would give Dracovish and Surfetch and Lucario a lot more time to shine. Because to take out Dragonite and Pikachu in the Cynthia battle, especially getting Pikachu out that early, like, oh my god. Like, Cynthia knew that Pikachu was going to be, like, the trump card that would end her. I think another thing why I love about Journeys is its concept. I mean, when you really think about it, to an extent, every series has followed the format. Ash goes to a new region, competes in that region's respective league, catches primarily new Pokemon from that set region, then meets new friends. But here, Ash is traveling to all eight regions, including Galar, doing research hacks with a new friend he made. That really made the series less predictable because you didn't know what to expect. But here's what's very interesting, though, Eric. When we first saw Journeys, like, the first show of Journeys, when we saw, like, Go being used and then Ash in it, and we saw them, like, all the Pokemon from every, like, generation showing up. The posters show Mew hiding in the bushes, show all the regions representation. I was like, I really hate to say this, but I would not be mad if this is the way they close Ash's whole entire series. I mean, when you really think about it, he's going back to every single region that he's been to. And the last region he went to, he became a champion. So what was there more to accomplish? Well, apparently Journeys had the answer. The World Coronation Series. Yeah, like at this point on, the more we think about it, Ash isn't a regional champion. He's a world champion. That's the biggest like thing on his bucket list. He's literally the strongest trainer in the world. I don't know where Tobias is. Tobias probably like had too many laxatives and probably died in the bush or something. I honestly think Tobias was made by the writers just to keep Ash going for Gen 5 because they weren't confident of the series going on without Ash. I have a feeling this may be more of a, they didn't feel confident of letting go of Ash. And I still think even after Ash's journey is over, as it's been confirmed that there's only 11 episodes short specials left, I feel like they're maybe shooting themselves in the foot or maybe Ash will come back and form some movies. Which would probably be better. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I don't think Ash is permanently gone. They may just do the alternate universe version of Ash. Like, after the X and Y cast was gone, we thought we were going to get movies based off Sun and Moon. No, we got alternate version of Ash from the I Choose You universe. And that's a good actual way to go about it if they wanted to do movies with Ash and still make money. It just mind blows me to think that, well, I know we're jumping ahead here. The fact that Ash is leaving in a new anime series and a new generation of kids are going to grow up not knowing who he is is just mind-blowing to think about. I think there's going to be hints here and there that he's there, and we'll talk into that soon. Let's get into, actually, Go's character. I'll be honest with you, Eric. When I first saw Go, I thought he was a piece of shit. I didn't like him at all. And I will say, Tristan did not like Go even more after a specific capture, which I think blew the whole internet up. Oh, I know what it is. It starts yeah, you, with an S. It's yeah. from Johto. It's a water type. Yep. But as Go was going on, I was like, okay, this is okay. I'm like, all right, so who's going to be your first Pokemon? As soon as he said Mew, I was like, get the fuck out of here. You're not getting Mew. And Go wasn't even respectful to Score Bunny when Score Bunny actually had respect for him. He's like, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I'm, I'm flattered, but I want Mew as my first type. That was like a big, like, shot in the foot for Score Bunny. I didn't like the way Go treated Score Bunny, especially during the time it finally evolved and decided to be like a teenager. But I could see that Go at the time didn't understand Score Bunny's feelings. 
But as the series progressed, you start to see Go starts to become more sincere, very nice to his Pokemon, actually understands everything. And he does later on become likable. I just think the way they set him up for the Project Mew arc was disappointing. I'll talk about that in a little bit, but the few things that I like about Go is that they treat him as a protagonist rather than a companion, because let's get this out of the way. There is actually a handful of episodes and journeys that don't feature Ash and only focuses on Go. We've never had traveling companions have their own episodes. I mean, we did have a Team Rocket only episode, but that's an exception. Well, another thing that I like about Go, he's pretty much the demographic for the other part of the series, if you know what I mean. Like, Ash focuses on battles, Go catches Pokemon. That's literally the fundamentals of the series. Yeah, but when I first saw Go, I just thought he was just some way to advertise Pokemon Go. <laughs> I mean, if his name didn't give it away. Yeah. But so, I will say about Project Mew, I think it would have been better if it was introduced earlier. Like, I want to say after Ash entered the Super Class or something like that. That would have been the perfect time for Go to figure out, okay, what's going to be my goal? How am I going to catch Mew at this rate? Because, like, if you introduce it halfway into the series, it's not going to be as developed. It was like the writers realized, oh, shit, we're halfway done with the series. We need Go to do shit. I just think Go was sort of a waste of time. Like, in the end, they, they made him sort of better and made me like him a little bit more than Max. So, Go's not my least favorite companion of all now. So, Max is still, like, on the very end. And I'm sorry for those who love the Hoenn series, but Bonnie is ten times better than Max. Hey, I love the Advanced Generation series. It's probably in the top three for me. But I will not disagree on that. Bonnie is a hundred times better than Max. Yeah, but anyways, Go is... Not he's he's likable. He's just likable. It's just something that irks me. I just didn't like they kept like throwing balls at everything and getting the catches right away. It felt unsatisfying. It felt like you're playing Pokemon Go and you're just throwing the ball and you're just playing with luck. But if you really want to talk about waste of time, Chloe, my God, but I love Chloe. I just feel like that they did her dirty. They fucking did her dirty. And the fact that they fucking put a middle finger on us when it turned out that. Eevee's going to be all these evolutions, and then we're like, oh, cool, we love that. Maybe we're actually going to build up to a new evolution that we talked about during our Scarlet and Violet podcast. And then it turns out, no, it turns out Eevee isn't going to evolve at all. It's happy the way it is. It's going to be like Ash's Pikachu. I'm going, oh, cool, fuck you. You completely just wasted my time. For a second, I thought it was going to be a Gigantamax Eevee and interrupt Ash versus Leon just for shits and giggles. But no, it's not even a Gigantamax one. Chloe's like... Evie doesn't know what he wants to do. I don't know what I want to do, and that's fine. That was a huge fucking waste of time. We still don't even know why it doesn't evolve, even when you touch it with a stone. Because in I, the games, you can't, as soon as you put a stone on it, you can't stop it to evolve, so it makes no sense. I think that's the only reason why Evie doesn't evolve, because they're purposely referencing the Let's Go Evie. But there's no context to that. And it's a thing. She had a good build-up. Like, she was basically a normal kid going to school, not knowing what she wants to do with her life. But as soon as she got Evie, you saw potential in her. You saw character development. Well, she did become more confident in herself. But to what? We don't know what the hell she wants to do. I find it really funny and expected that the people in school said, your dad's Professor Cerise. You're gonna, you should be a researcher. She's like, no, no. I don't like Pokemon that way. As soon as she gets Evie... In the end, she ends up becoming exactly what those kids say she should become. Wow, that's almost as bad as Marnie becoming Pierce's successor, even though she was like, I don't want to be a gym leader like my brother. 
oh, big bro, you're retiring? I'll take over the Spike Moth gym for you. I feel like the writers were just throwing themselves in a hole when they were writing these characters. And I, I do think the pandemic played a role with the delay, because I feel like maybe it stopped them from thinking what they were doing and they had to say, let's do some fillers for now, because the pandemic's going around, and then we'll get to the real story afterwards. And we got fucking Marsh Stomp stuck in the fucking ground. This will have been the perfect opportunity to have Ash catch a Marsh Stomp, because I know a lot of people said, oh, Mudkip should have been owned by Ash, not Brock, but whatever, that was a huge waste of time. I think the purpose for Brock having Mudkip was to break the whole being a rock trainer type of thing says. But yeah, again, he had Crobat and Pinecone. He had a variety of different types, not just rock. But I guess if they were just trying to make a variety by saying, hey, he has a grass and water type now. Speaking of Brock, the one thing that gives Journeys its own identity is its continuity moments. Well, Journeys hasn't advertised a sort of anniversary series, like it celebrates 25 years of the Pokemon anime, which means we got to see all of Ash's companions return including rivals like Gary, Alon, Gladion, and even freaking Paul, and so many other miscellaneous characters that you haven't seen in years. Like, did any of us thought to see freaking Richie again, even though it was only for a small cameo? Oh, no. I was surprised to see my man Todd Snap in the, in the Ash vs. Leon part three. Like, what the? And then I think there was Rose and Oleana on the left going, wait, aren't you two, like, wanted right now by the police? Like, why are you in the, like, outside of the stadium, like, not being, like, handcuffed. Like, what is this crap? It was insane. Like, so many characters we haven't seen in years. And that gave Journey extra points for me because they're actually acknowledging past events. Oh, no, Eric, they're also acknowledging Pokemon Chronicles. We saw Jimmy and Marina in one whole shot with Jackson. Or is his name Vincent? Whatever his name is. The point is, Chronicles was acknowledged. Yeah, they showed that, look, Marina does exist. But yeah, again, when I was watching Diamond Pro, they did show Marina with a Feraligator. And I forgot about that because it was so small. I forgot about that too, so don't feel bad. Okay, good. The only time I saw Marina was like on a picture of a magazine that Dawn had. And then when I went and rewatched the contest episode, I think we're in the hard home one that we saw on Feraligator. Like Marina's Crocodile evolved into Feraligator. But yeah, there's a lot of um returning characters that we never thought. Like we saw Chuck from Johto. Like that was one of those what the F moments for me that out of all characters to bring back, they brought back Chuck. For me, a what the fuck moment was Drake. Because if you remember from the Advanced Generation series, Ash battled Drake and he whooped his ass. But in a way, this was to teach him about what happens when you're overconfident. I think Drake was one of those important characters that deserved to return because uh, when I was watching the Advanced Generation and when we got to the final season, like the second to last final season, because the last one was Battle Frontier, Drake actually made Ash become more confident and more aware that he can't always be hot headed and stuff like that. Exactly. That's and that's why I love about it. him to what he is now, which is amazing. So Drake actually built up Ash to become the world champion. I never thought I'd get to see so many life lessons of best day about a series where you catch monsters, train them for battle, and stop with crime syndicates. Yeah, like, there wasn't really a big bad organization in this. All we got were the return of Team Galactic, and Team Rocket were here and there, but Team Rocket, I feel like they were just pushed in the corner. They were just useless. Especially with that gadget machine. The gadget machine, I feel, I, like, they were hyped when they first saw it, but then... After episode 10, it just got really stupid. I think the Pokemon that came out of the Gadget were based off the theme. Like, for example, 
the land of the Pikachu. They had like fucking Baneri and Minchito on that episode. Like they went from epic to based off the theme of the episode. Where everything's all cutesy and shit. Yeah, wasn't there a Drapion with the finding a second pincer to trade for a Heracross? I could have sworn yep. Drapion was one of them. Yeah, I think Drapion was one of them. Uh, yeah. It's not really memorable for me with the exception of getting the Heracross as a trade. But hey, at least Jesse and James finally realized there's more to life than just Team Rocket. Because in another episode, I don't know how the hell I didn't mention this, Cassidy and Butch came back. Bro, when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. I thought they were dead, because, like, in Diamond Pro, they killed off Hunter J. So when the last time we saw them were, like, stuck in the middle of the desert, I thought they, like, died in, from heat. They brought back Meowthy, but also, it's not actual Meowthy. It's just a different Meowth that looks like it. Still, another continuity moment. They remember Meowthy. Like, Journeys, I feel like, was a big love letter to people who watched the series, but also had people who started watching the anime understand what they were missing for 25 years, which helped them go back and rewatch all of these moments. Even black and white, as much as I don't like to admit it, but yes, there was some black and white love in there too. It's almost like for the Kingdom Hearts games, where, okay, there's at least a few people out there that are going to choose Kingdom Hearts 3 as their first game. Let's just shove the entire Kingdom Hearts lore up everyone's asses so that way they know what to expect, and hopefully they'll consider playing the previous games. I mean, I started Kingdom Hearts, like, last year in 2021, and even though this is really off-topic, it's similar to that, except if you're watching, like, something, like, say you jumped into, like, Hoenn, and you didn't watch Johto or the original series. They do throw, like, throwbacks from season one and two, like, you're like, oh, there's a Bailey Peacock. When did he catch that? And then you watch Johto, and you see he called Chikorita. Like, it's, it's all continuity somewhere. There's continuity everywhere. Paul, how did you know that's how I got into the series? Oh, wow. <laughs> I did not know. Because I literally started with the Advanced Generation series. And then after seeing all those continuity moments, I had to rewatch, you know, the original series and Johto. Oh, my God. <laughs> you are so lucky you weren't, like, watching the time when I had to sit there, like, Saturday mornings just to see fucking Ash lose his first Indigo League with a fucking Charizard not refusing the battles. Even though I wasn't watching the show at the time, I know how infuriating that moment is. Well, it also made sense because Ash thought he could win it all, but he wasn't really completely trained. Like, he didn't know what he was doing. His team wasn't fully, like, strong enough for this type of stuff. So it made a lot of sense. I just found the irony that Ash's Charizard lost to a Pikachu to Ash's Pikachu beating a Charizard. It came full circle. My god, this kid from Palatown has come a long way. He went from being the Orange Island champion, the Battle Frontier champion, the Alola champion, and now the world champion. Holy shit. Eric, let's also not mention that I think what makes Journeys also memorable is that they brought back all of the past companions in some form. Whether it was cameos, its own episode, or even mentioned in dialogue, the point is everybody came back one way or another, and that was huge. My mind was blown when I saw May and Serena together in the same room, watching the final battle between Ash and Leon. Yeah, Twitter blew up. Instead, they sit there going, oh, do you think May and Serena are a fan because they're holding hands? No, they're holding hands because they support Ash and his dreams, guys. It's completely different. But yeah, overall, when it comes to continuity, Pokemon Journeys knows how to deliver. But there is one big issue I have with Journeys, which before we did this podcast, I was actually considering Pokemon Journeys an 8 out of 10, but 
I ranked it a number lower because of one huge problem. Pacing. Oh, yeah. I, no, I, I agree. That's probably why I was being friendly and I gave it a point five. I think the pacing is what killed the eight for me. Now, granted, it started off good. You have Ash meeting Go, the book, Ash entering the PWC, catching all these OP Pokemon. But when it gets to the important stuff, there's like too much filler. And it's like, oh, hey, it's time for Ash's next hyper class battle. What? Already? Guess what? Ash is climbing the rankings nonstop. He's undefeatable, or I should say unbeatable. <laughs> it was like there was so much going on that they were like, oh, shit, the series is wrapping up soon. But they didn't know how to make it at a fluent pace. It was a lot to take in. I'm like, wait a minute. Why are we going to a battle thing right away and after Go did one memorable episode capture? And then we jumped to that. Like, we didn't get Project Meal to level to, like, episode 59 or 60. Unless I'm thinking of the Suicune episode at 55. Maybe around episode 70 is when Project Meal started to be, like, no. I think the Masters 8 tournament was a huge disappointment. Now, granted, the buildup was great. You had Ash defeating Raihan in a promotional match. You had him visiting Alola, where everyone acknowledged that, hey, our champion's home. Let's support him all the way through. And then you have freaking Ash's Pokemon back at Oak's lab, training his new team for the Masters 8 tournament. What I find so funny about this is that Ash doesn't acknowledge he's champion, the regional champion representing for Alola until he goes back for the first time ever, meets two fanboys, and he's like, oh yeah, I won this tournament a while back. And goes like, and you didn't tell me that? It's so cool. That, like, that was the reaction that us, the fans, had with that whole thing. Oh yeah, and that's another thing. Are you telling me that none of the other champions acknowledged Ash as the Alola champion? Well, they do kind of acknowledge it once we get to the Masters A tournament, but not earlier. Like, you're telling me that when Ash found Faulkner and he knows the Z-Ring, it was like, oh yeah, isn't that the Z-Ring you used when you won the Alola League? Something like that. Or hell, you think Leon would have acknowledged that he's talking to the first ever Alola champion? Like, stuff like that. Yeah, no, like, so basically, if I remember correctly, he did not have his Z-Ring on him an episode before fighting Volker. I was like, wait a minute, did this fucker literally just take a boat or a plane back to the house, pick up a ring, and just flew back to go fight Volker? Like, Apparently. What, what the fuck? But so, I feel like Ash winning the Alola League was very minimized in the series. Like, it hardly mattered until we got to the Masters 8 tournament. Where, you know, I I guess, I mean, yeah, it was a really nice moment because it helped Ash realize that, hey, even though the Alola League isn't huge compared to the other Pokemon Leagues, he's still representing a whole region. And that's what made him more sentimental because he's literally carrying the support of an entire region on his shoulders. The thing with the Master Race Tournament is that it was bad, like, really early to bid. But after the B thing, like, the final battle with B was done, like, everything got better at that point after that, like. I think B is just an ass rival. I hated it. I think they were trying to do something similar to Gary and Paul, and it just failed really badly. Oh, yeah. What was the point of making her a rival if they only battled three times? I feel like they were just finding a way for Riolu to get stronger, but I just think it was done really bad. Like, I would have liked it if Karina was the rival and not B. That would make more sense for me. I will say, though, it felt so surreal seeing Ash being able to utilize Mega Evolution, Z-Moves, and Gigantamax in one series. That's what I knew right then and there. Like, if Ash actually gets to the Master Race tournament, he beats one specific trainer, and I said this so many times in previous podcasts with you, Eric, that if Ash beats Cynthia, 
he is 100% going to beat Leon. And there we go. It happened. Four episodes of nonstop action, and Ash defeated the undefeatable champion. And I'm not going to say it was unfair at all, considering that Leon was freaking difficult. <sighs> oh my god, I'm getting a migraine just by thinking about it. They disrespected Alon during this battle. Oh, they did the Alon dirty. I feel like it would make sense for Ash to fight Alon, then throw the Cynthia, and then Leon. The fact that we had Steven there, I feel like they were just wanting to have Ash beat the top three, period. It went three, two, and one, which was very obvious. The fact that I showed like a screen back on my Instagram with Ash and Lance, I thought it was going to be Lance, Cynthia, and Leon. No, they threw Steven at us. And I feel like Steven versus Alon would have made more sense. I think it was just more like, my Charizard is better than your Charizard, Leon. So Leon decides to, like, sunk the ship with base Charizard. Like, honestly, they could have at least given us a Mega Charizard X versus Gigantamax Charizard showdown. But no, Leon just Gigantamax freaking Rillaboom within the first five seconds of the battle. That was funny. Like, I will admit that I will give exceptions to Leon's Rillaboom. Because if we saw the way Rillaboom was fucking, like, destroying Ash... It made sense how the heck Diantha lost to a Rillaboom. Oh my god, don't remind me. Diantha. That was probably ass. I was like, there's no way in hell the writers made this Rillaboom this OP. Nope, that's exactly how ridiculous that Rillaboom is. It's funny, I talked about this with my friends before the episode aired. I was like, I'm calling it guys. Leon's going to demolish Diantha during their semifinal battle. And sure enough, I was right. These riders are so predictable. <laughs> they are so predictable. But no, I can give Alon a little bit of a pass because, you know, he's a league winner, not a champion. Yet he's ranked higher than Iris. But Diantha, who's supposed to be a regional champion, couldn't do a damn thing to Leon. I was going to say, Leon is my least favorite champion out of all of them. And that's sad to say. I just thought it was like, oh, it's just some guy that runs a tournament in Galar. He's up the, like, I felt like he was just more like the laid back type of champion that just got lucky, like winning something. No, I was I, wrong. They made him look like he was like the final villain in an anime type of battle. And for some reason, Leon has so much respect for me right now. Like, he used all three starters. I was surprised Ash actually got that first victory on Italian. That was surprising, to say the least. But I thought that they were going to write this up for Ash to lose to Leon by having Charizard go down. But then Cinderace shows up and goes libero ground and just finishes Pikachu. Nope. They completely written it for Pikachu to finish up Cinderace by having them go Gigantamax. The one time Pikachu went Gigantamax, it lost to Charizard because they didn't know how to use it. For some reason, Ash knows how to use the Gigantamax Pikachu in the in the Cinderace battle, which made no sense to me. But you know what? At this point, he's creative, so it made sense. I was about to say, I thought Dragon Ball had issues with power scaling, but this just takes the cake for me. But uh, going back to Gigantamax Pikachu... I hated how they waited till over 120 episodes to reintroduce Gigantamax Pikachu. I mean, it's implied that they did some training so Pikachu can master his Gigantamax form. But I guess the writers were like, nobody gives a shit about that. I was like, how is this OB's Pikachu going to finish a Gigantamax Charizard if they do something like this? No, that's not what happened. Yeah. I forgot that they had Cinderace still being called back before the Ace came out. So I was like, 
Oh, they're going to do that, aren't they? They probably would have did Inteleon, but considering that Inteleon's based off a sniper gun, and because guns are very sensitive in anime, that they did want it to get banned. So they went, hey, let's just do Cinderace. That's more safer to do. I feel like that's what they were going for. I think intentionally, Inteleon was supposed to be the one they were going to use before Charizard. But they're like, no, let's just get rid of him out early by, with Gengar. Makes sense. But yeah, I don't want to go into full detail because I actually do have an episode planned out where I talk about my top 10 favorite battles from Pokemon Journeys. Ash's battles with Steven, Cynthia, and Leon are definitely high up there and for good reason. I said to myself, it's going to be, Ash is 100% going to challenge Cynthia. He's going to be whoever's in the first round, and it's going to be Ash versus Liam because the opening kind of gave it away what was going to happen. We saw Gigantamax Pikachu, Gigantamax Charizard. It wasn't that matchup, but it was a fire type. It was Cinderace. But then they showed Lucario versus Charizard, and that was the biggest me that's going, if this is the final battle, people are going to be pissed because that is not fitting. It should be Pikachu. I knew that was clickbait. Like, somehow I knew they were just teasing the shit out of us. Just like how they teased the shit out of Dynamax Regigigas, which we all thought was going to be the huge final Project Mew mission. But no, Regigigas was just there just for the hell of it. It was just there to look pretty. And of course, I know we keep talking about Ash being Leon, but here's a question for you. Do you think Ash would have had a chance if he only had one gimmick as opposed to all three of them? I think Ash would be pretty much screwed. I think they purposely, had, Leon did this because he knew that Ash would not have been able to be on the same part with Leon. So he said you can use all three gimmicks. And he ended up only using two gimmicks, which was just two Gigantamax. And he was still that power scaled. I mean, I didn't mind it, but there's always that looming question. It's like, huh, I wonder how Ash would have fared if he handicapped himself to just one gimmick. I mean, he probably would have lost, but it definitely would have been more interesting to see. I think he would have lost, but I also think it would end up being a 6v2 in the end. Like, he would still have, like, Liam would still have, like, two Pokemon left. Yeah, I would have guessed that would have happened, too. It would have been Charizard and Rillaboom. That's why I think those two last standing would have been. Yeah, but still, that final battle between Pikachu and Charizard, my god, did the anime receive a huge glow-up. I think that's why they, like, were putting so many recap episodes. They were saving so much money just so they can pull this nostalgic, epic conclusion. Oh, and if you want to talk nostalgia, that moment when Pikachu saw all of Ash's previous Pokemon, including ones that he released, giving him that extra pep talk, like, you can do this, Pikachu. Oh, don't give me that crap. When I saw Amipom, I screamed fucking traitor in the background. And it was like 5 in the morning when my fiance sleeping. It was ridiculous. I'm surprised I didn't wake her up when it says fucking traitor pointing at it. No, like, that was a huge breath of fresh air. Like, seeing everybody that Pikachu has traveled with, giving him that one extra boost so we could basically go Super Saiyan God. Oh my god, I felt like I was watching Dragon Ball Z at that point. It showed the bond that Ash had with Pikachu throughout the years, and it, it was so fitting. Like, this is why people rank this battle as number one. I don't know if it's number one for me because Ash versus Gary and Ash versus Paul oh, are still so much top tier for me. But... Do you know how crazy fitting that battle was? It was like I know, but battle. still. <laughs> but those two are very nostalgic for me, so it's definitely top three for me, but... I don't know, I can easily sleep on it and say, like, oh, Ash and Leon is my favorite battle. No, Ash versus Gary, Ash versus Paul. Like, I think Ash versus Leon is number one for me because of all the nostalgia building up for this one final clash. And I think that's why people make it number one is because they got to see nostalgia with all the returning Pokemon 
cheering on. Like, at first, when I saw this white sequence, I actually thought, like, the coma theory was coming true. It was Pikachu in a coma after the bike incident or something. I thought Pikachu was dead or something. No, it's not dead. This is after the battle was over and he won and he was, like, resting. They completely baited us saying he lost. No, he won. That was crazy. And speaking of crazy, now that Ash is now world champion, these 11 episodes are really going to put his skills to the test. Like, what more can he do to accomplish his goal as a Pokemon master? Eric, you may think I'm insane when I say this. I think the writers are actually going to give Ash a, a legendary. They're going to make him oh, pet Latios. Yeah, I was about to say, I saw rumors. Well, we saw Latios in the preview. So it got me thinking, is this the same Latios from the fifth Pokemon movie? I was going to say, they seem like in a similar area, similar to Ultimar. It's possible that this could be foreshadowing that he called Latios during that event. I mean, he's already a world champion. Plus, he owns an Ultra Beast. Well, he owned an Ultra Beast, and he owns a Mythical. Why not come full circle by giving him a Legendary? Well, to become a Pokemon Master, catching at least one Legendary makes sense. I mean, Solgaleo actually counts because of the flashback. And the company confirmed that Solgaleo is Ashes. So he does have a mythical and legendary, but to have an actual ordinary, like natural legendary that's not like from Sun and Moon, Latias is probably the most fitting out of the legendaries. Especially that ending where Latias gave him a kiss. Yeah, I think I read something online. I don't know if it still exists or not. That the writer said that it's implied that you it could be either the person or the Pokemon. But 100%, I think it's the Pokemon. Either way, it'll be awesome to see Ash own a Latias, or any Legendary for that matter. But I'm just worried about how much they're going to squeeze in in 11 episodes, you know what I mean? Well, I definitely think with showing all of Ash's previous Pokemon there, and the fact the previews show all of his older Pokemon, like Totodile, Levani, makes me think, oh my god, is he actually going to bring reserves this time? So, like, one episode is going to be a Kanto, and we have a different six of reserves. It's almost like one last hurrah of Pokemon Journeys, except everything's coming full circle. I, you know, I think it would be pretty funny if they bring back Primeape just to get angry at Ash, just to die and turn into an Anilape. I think that would be the best way to get an Anilape into the oh, anime. Oh god, Paul, don't give them ideas. But I, I don't think Ash should have Annihilate at all, considering the way it evolves is you have to have the primate die to evolve, and I don't think they're gonna go that path. I mean, that's something they could throw a, like a curveball and surprise us with, but I don't think it'll happen. But I definitely think all the companions that Ash travel with will definitely make an appearance in like at least eight of these 11 episodes. Like, give us insight of how they've been doing ever since Ash became the world champion. And right now, there was something they showed in the alternate universe um, trailer. They showed Delia with a hat, little Ash, and then a man on the left. I think one of those bucketless will be, we'll finally get to see his father. We already know who his father is. Mimey. Yeah, <laughs> that joke is dead, dude. <laughs> when they saw that, I think they're going to finally show that Ash's dad. Like, if they're going to, like, wrap up Ash's final journey with Pikachu within 11 episodes, they're going to show the father. Maybe have Ash's father challenge him to a battle, saying, like, oh, I heard my son became the world champion. Let me test out your skills. No, I think he's the father that's like, I got lots of Meridian Sports within, like, a month, and I finally got milk. <laughs> but, yeah, no. I feel like they're going to pull a Dragon Ball ending where... The last episode is actually going to be Ash and Serena actually talking, reuniting. I don't see a wedding showing up or something like that, but they're going to show them aging, and it's going to probably show a girl that says the adventure continues. I think it's going to be like that type of thing. 
Because when they did the ending for Dragon Ball, if I remember correctly, they showed them married Goku and Chi-Chi, and then they show a crystal ball, and she covers what happens. And then the next episode, we got Gohan. I mean, it does make sense. Goku has kids. Naruto has kids. Freaking Tai from Digimon has kids. Well, he has a kid. But my point is, why not do the same thing for Ash? And right now, even Satoshi Tajiri, the creator himself, was all up on the boat for Ash and Serena. So I know a lot of people don't like the shipping wars, but I really hate to say I think Serena is the most, like, canon-logical one that I can see happening. Which leads us to our next discussion, the two new protagonists for the Gen 9 anime. Oh my god, I am so nervous. When I dropped this on Instagram, I was like, you know what? It makes so much sense to have, like, a Boruto type of situation where the main character passes the torch on to their own kid. And even though there was something, actually something interesting happened, Eric, the Pokemon company posted saying Ash's daughter, and then they deleted it as soon as I could take a screenshot or go onto the profile. I thought it was fake. It turned out it was the actual official Pokemon company. Oh my god. Is Rika and or Roy the child of Ash and Serena? I think Roy is related to Go. But I 100% know the girl is 100% going to be Ash's daughter. I have a gut feeling. Like, it makes no sense to replace with a new character not related to the main character at all. Because that would be... Have you seen Yokai Watch? Like, I don't think you've seen the Japanese one. But there was a thing only in Japan only where Nate's two kids are the protagonists. And we do see the parents. And it confirms that Nate did marry Katie at the end of Yokai Watch. I've only seen one episode of Yokai Watch. All right, like, because eh. in Japanese, I used to watch the Yokai Watch anime, but then when they showed all of these Yokai characters turning into these demonic, crazy ass monsters, I was like, oh shit, this is disgusting. But when I saw Nate and Katie, adults and actually married with two kids, I'm like, this is going to probably be what Rico's situation is going to be. It's going to be Ash and Serena. But they're not going to show the parents until later on. Unless they do show them. Maybe Serena will actually be grown up. Who knows? Which got me thinking. Is the new Gen 9 anime primarily going to stay in Paldea? Or is it going to be like a journey situation where Rika and Roy are going to travel to every other region? I think the name for Rika is based off of Rika, the voice of Ash. I think this is the homage to her. Because Rika Matsumasu has been with the series for decades. And... For them to get rid of Ash altogether, I don't think so. I think she's going to voice Rico. Kind of like how Naruto's actress voiced Boruto for one of the video games before Boruto got his own voice actress. You know what I mean? I don't know. I feel like it wouldn't be fair to just have Rico like, not voice the characters in the anime in any form anymore. I feel like Rico was definitely made originally to symbolize Ash's daughter, but also have her be able to continue voicing the character. Still, there's so much we don't know about the Gen 9 anime, but we just have to get through these 11 episodes first and see where the journey is heading. There's a lot of things in that 11 episodes they can do. For heck's sakes, we don't even know what Team Rocket's going to do anymore. Like, are they still going to continue on? Are they going to be old people trying to kidnap Pokemon and Paladia? I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't know. What, what are they going to do with Team Rocket? That's probably the one thing that's on my mind right now. Like, I know Ash is final chapter is going to end like how is it going to end is the final scene going to be like what i said the dragon ball ending or is it going to be team rocket failing to catch the pikachu numerous times whatever the case may be can we please get a proper conclusion between ash and giovanni that one battle they had in black and white didn't count 
because they made that Persian way too OP. I'm going to be very upset if it turns out that is Ash's father, even though I think that ruins the whole purpose because Silver was actually in Pokemon Chronicles. So that would make no sense to me. It's also mind-blowing to think that after 25 years, Ash is no longer going to be the protagonist. But as long as he still appears in some capacity, I'd be okay with. Again, Ash could probably be an adult and being a teacher in the school, and that's maybe how Rika gets into the Paldian school. There's a lot they could do with that. To be we'll just have to wait and see. Can you imagine if they have Ash foul Rita and lose? That would be funny, but I highly doubt that's going to happen. Eric, by the time Rika gets to fight her father for like a champion position, we'll be dead already. <laughs> Yeah, because who knows how long they're going to milk the story of Ash's daughter. I don't know. I think they're going to do something like what they did like with Generations. I think after the main series is done, they're just going to have Rika and Paldi, and then when Rika's story ends, it goes into another one. Like, for all you know, it could be Ash's kids passing the generation journey for each region. But I feel like that would be so boring at that point. So overall, I did enjoy Pokemon Journeys. It definitely could have been better, especially with the pacing. But as a celebration for 25 years of Pokemon, well, 25 years of the Pokemon anime, I think they still did a solid job. And I'm definitely excited to see what the future unfolds for Ash in these 11 episodes. Oh, you guys will definitely hear from me again when that series is over. Especially when the new one takes it, because me and Eric are probably going to sit down, watch the end of a certain season, and then we're going to come back and review the whole thing. Matt, if you're listening to this podcast, put in the Geeks Crossing Google Docs page. Because I'm definitely here to definitely explain the anime. Because if I'm going to sit here on my Friday mornings when I'm off watching this show, I need to make sure I'm getting the facts straight and know exactly what I'm going to be talking about. But anyway, to those who have seen Pokemon Journeys, what do you think of it? And what do you think is going to happen for Ash's future? Let us know on our Discord server and follow us on Instagram, at Geeks Crossing. Continue to listen to us on all major listening platforms such as Anchor, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, or whatever platform you prefer. And thank you, Paul, for joining me on this special podcast. Thank you for having me. It was great, and I'm looking forward to definitely working with you guys again. And more importantly, stay true to your geek selves.